Hello, this is Peter Jacoby for Profiles. Our guest is Angela Brown, the Indianapolis-born and based dramatic soprano, a distinguished graduate of Indiana University's Jacobs School of Music, and leading exponent not only of heroines and the operas of Giuseppe Verdi, but in recognition of her background, African-American spirituals. I've admired Angela Brown's artistry since her student days, and I'm so happy to get this opportunity to chat with her. Hi, Angela. Hi, Peter. Hi. Right off, your focus on Verdi. There are rather few current sopranos with the power and the musicality to sing those roles. Aida, Trovatore, Mass Ball, La Forza del Destino. Why is that? What's happening out there to create this dearth? Well, you know, I I think they're there, but they just haven't had a chance to get to where the Lord has blessed me to get in mm-hmm. the career. I can't speak for, you know, the reason why there is such a dearth. I'm just glad I'm in there to to help widen it out, <laughs> to help fill it up a little bit, I should say. Well, it should make you very popular in a few years. I mean, we've got a big Verity year coming in 2013. It's 200th anniversary. Yeah, I'm excited so. about that, Peter. Because right now, <laughs> in this economy, everybody's doing Wagner. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm ready for some Verity again now. <laughs> what does it take to master the Verity repertoire? Well, I think it takes stamina. It takes a voice that is agile, but that has a, a sustainable line, a beauty of line. You have to have passion for it. You have to have passion in the voice, you know, mm-hmm. and in, in, in portraying that character. His music just calls for it. It's very lush and, and, and beautiful without being too ornate or fussy. It's just, it, it just puts it out there in such a, a big you know, wonderful, beautiful way that you just want to hug. It just, I mean, Verdi's music just feels to me like a big hug, you know, so you have to be able to embrace it. And it takes a, a powerful voice. It does take a powerful voice. A, a well-rounded think, voice. A, a real wound, rounded voice and a big personality to do it to, I believe. Now, one of those roles you sing is Aida. Mm-hmm. What is it that makes that role special, and what, do you, what does it take for you as a singer, to get into it? Well, I think Aida is special. And I think all of Verity's music is special because you can hear strains of, of, of Aida in Trovatore or Forza or any of his music. So you hear his music throughout, his, his nuances throughout all of the pieces that I sing. But Aida is special to me, and I feel like you really need that makes it different from some of the other Verity operas that I have sung, is that you have to have that strength, that sustainable strength throughout, and then you have to, to float it out on the ends. And it's like, it's like a whip or something. You know, you just, it just wraps around you. You have to have that, that, that kind of wraparound kind of voice that can get high and low, and then you have to have that sustainable middle. So it's a tour de force for the evening, and I love singing Aida. I love it, because it puts me through my paces, but I enjoy it. <laughs> well, the story, too, would be something that intrigues you. Yes. Uh, Aida is about a young princess who was captured uh, from her homeland of Ethiopia and brought to Egypt. 
and she falls in love with the Egyptian commander who doesn't know that the daughter of Pharaoh is in love with him. So it becomes this love triangle. And uh, she, she being the handmaiden or the slave to Amneris, who is the princess of Egypt, she has to play her cards kind of cool. So, you know, it's this cloak and dagger thing going on all night. And it's fun to kind of, you know, play that because you have you have lots of subtleties, but you have to make them big enough for the general audience to see that Aida is feeling, you know, apprehensive and, and scared. And, you know, and, and at times she has to play it coy and cool. And, you know, so there's a lot of things you have to peel that onion through the night to make her interesting and then she has a moment where she shows all her fire you know and her anger at some point with Amneris and then even with her father later on in the third act duet and with Radame as her lover so you know she she has lots of emotions all night long and it's fun to play her and the emotions are split as uh, oh, yeah. you're, you've selected Anaria Return of Inchitor uh, which sort of shows, doesn't it, her own background and then her love for really the enemy commander. Exactly. I mean, because she's, you know, it says, Ritorna Vincitore, at the end, you know, of the big uh, uh, coronation scene, she's saying to Radames, I want you to return victorious. And then as everyone is leaving and he's getting ready to go out and conquer her people, she realizes what she said, return victorious, oh my goodness, what have I said? And so through this whole aria, she's going through all of the, the ebb and flow of her feelings, you know, uh, that she's wanting her lover to come back re- uh, victorious from conquering her people, but yet and still she loves her people, and she wants her and her, her daddy and her people to, to vanquish him, and so she's just in a, in a pickle. <laughs> that whole scene, and then she ends up praying to little G-God, is what I call him, knew me, uh, for strength and guidance and help in uh, seeing her through this very difficult situation she's found herself in. And it's a difficult uh, aria musically, too, right? Yes, yes, because she uses a lot. I mean, it's, it's that, that, like I was saying before, you have to have that stamina, and you have to have that, that float and that strength, you know, throughout this aria. Well, you let's listen to you singing uh, with uh, the Indianapolis Symphony, Return of Inchitor from Verdi's Aida. just heard our guest on Profiles, Angela Brown, sing Return of Inchitor from Verdi's 
Aida. I'd like to go back now, uh, Angela, to your earlier years, your childhood, and how you came to be what you are musically. I mean, your parents and others, who shaped you, who guided you along the path? Well, I would definitely have to say that my parents did that. My father uh, worked for Chrysler for many, many years, and he was the one that, you know, was always in the background going, Angela, you need something to fall back on. We know you like the music, but you need something to fall back on. So he was he was the the one that was steady. And then I had my mother, who was very artsy, I would say, because she was the one that would take us to Starlight musicals and beef and boards, and 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 we would go to the Civic Theater, and and then she was a singer herself from Manu High School, so she sang a lot, and she even had a uh, scholarship to the Jordan School of Music at Butler. So she was the one that instilled all this musical prowess in me, and she was like, Angie, you can do anything you want, and she was uh, she was my biggest fan. So I would say my parents were the one that, that my father was the one that kept my head, you know, straight, and my mother would allow me to dream, so I had the best of both worlds. And you've kept that. Yeah. You keep your head straight and you dream. <laughs> most definitely, most definitely. Well, what kind of music did you start with uh, in, in high school? And Well, I would say I started with musical theater. Mm-hmm. I always knew I wanted to be on stage. And uh, I really started with musical theater, um, and then it went to gospel um, music, singing with choirs. So I sang a lot in school. My first performance was with the Brownies. I was nine years old, and I sang in a brownie beauty pageant, and I sang Killing Me Softly. And my mother said, just turn the music down, baby, and sing over Roberta Flack. So I think I was the first lip syncer. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it, I, I've just always had it. And then I sang in my grandfather's church. So between church music and Broadway, I would say, were my, my tender beginnings. And once I started singing Broadway, that just just bit me, and I started doing a lot of musical theater here in Indianapolis with Civic Theater. Then from there, uh, I went on to Oakwood College in Huntsville, Alabama, and that's when I found out that I had this classical voice in me because I wanted to study music. That's when everything kind of exploded from there. So you studied there, and then you went on to... I went on to Indiana Indiana University. Because my teacher at Oakwood would bring her students to Indiana University to study with Virginia Zayani for a weekend of master classes. And my teacher at Oakwood, Ginger Beasley, was a student of Ms. Zayani's at one time. Oh. And so there was this, this, this good liaison between Oakwood and Indiana University. And so after Ms. Zayani heard me for the first time, she says, darling, and I was a mezzo-soprano at that time. She says, darling, you are not a mezzo-soprano. You are a Verdi soprano, a lyric spinto. The blood of Verdi courses through your veins. When you are done with ginger, you come to me. I take you in my studio here at Indiana University, and we will work, you know. So, and that's what we did. I ended up coming to Indiana, and uh, I studied with Mrs. Zayani, and I was very unsure about what I wanted to do. Because classical music was something that I was definitely exposed to in the Indianapolis public school system because at that time they would take you to operas and they would take you to symphony orchestras on field trips. So I knew 
about opera, but I never thought it was something that I would want to do until I opened my mouth and it came out effortlessly. And I understood the techniques that my teachers were trying to teach me, and it was like a duck taken to water. And so then I had this gift that I didn't know I had, but I was afraid of it because it was something that was so outside my scope, or at least I thought. And then I got to thinking that, you know, what I take from musical theater, what I've taken from uh, uh, singing in church is the passion for singing, for music, how it makes me feel. So what I try to do to bridge that gap is to sing my classical music like I would sing any of the other music because I have a passion for music, period, for singing. And I stopped thinking of it as an elitist art form and something that I couldn't grasp hold to because it was something that I didn't necessarily grow up with in my home, though I was exposed to it through school. Classical music has definitely been good to me and for me. So, I can just hear Virginia Zani tell you those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're a very good mimic. I, uh, <laughs> I remember one time she said to me, I went in, you know, with, with that confusion in my head about what I wanted to do. And she was like, well, Angela, if you want to be the next Aretha Franklin, go. You need no more lessons. But if you want to be the best Verdian soprano this world has ever known, you must work. And, uh, you know, I was never one to cry in front of Ms. Ziani, but I think that was one day I had a few tears coming down my cheeks. And I was like, okay, Ms. Ziani, I'm going to work because you believe in me. Because I have to say, because this was such a Eurocentric art form for me, I was a little afraid of it because I didn't believe in myself in it. But working with Miss Zayani and then just working through those tensions that I had about this music, this genre of music, I can truly say that I have been able to embrace it as well. Well, you say working through it. Uh, talk to us a little bit about those lessons. How did you and Miss Zayani work with your voice to make it able to do what you do now? Well... Ms. Zayani would always start off with vocalises. We would do vocalises that pertained to the pieces that I was learning, so that by the time we got to the actual singing of the song, the voice was, you know, was agile enough, it, it, it was warmed up enough to do what, it, it, what was demanded of it in that aria. So we would always start off with, with vocalises. She gave good imagery. That was something that was uh, also that Ginger Beasley did. She would, would, would tell me different things to think about in order to place my voice where I wanted it to go. Uh, she also talked a lot about stage deportment and how to deliver the songs. Not necessarily the interpretation, because she would talk on that too, but it's in the actually, actually in delivering the piece so that uh, you were inviting the audience into your space and you not actually bogarting into their space and trying to make yourself heard. You made it more intimate by bringing them to you. And uh, then that goes into the interpretation of the song. So we touched on a lot of different things as far as, and also as, um, as well as um, how to, 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 to dress yourself, how to present yourself to the public, you know, and, to, and, and that it, talk, it costs nothing to be nice. You catch more, what did it say, you catch more flies with, 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 with sugar than vinegar. 
you know. So it's about being a well-rounded entertainer or performer, if you will, so that you can keep working in this business. So we talked about a lot of things in my lesson. She tried to bring out the f- the whole of you, didn't she? Exactly. Yeah. Since you think of yourself now as sort of in two worlds, uh, one opera that is sort of in two worlds is Porgy and Bess. And I'd like to get to the music that you have chosen from Gershwin's great masterpiece. So let's talk a little bit about that opera and the role you played in it and the music. Okay. You said two worlds. I kind of think that it's all one world Okay, with, Good. with uh, different flavorings, mm-hmm. okay? <laughs> because well Porgy and Bess is definitely a folk opera, but it has to be sung with operatic voices. There's no way anyone can get up there and try to sing My Man's Gone Now or uh, I Love You, Porgy, in the classical way it was written okay, mm-hmm. without having a classically trained voice. Now, of course, pieces have been ex- excerpted from Porgy and Bess, and, you know, you have a lot of jazz singers to sing it or, you know, pop singers to sing it, and that's fine, you know, because that means they, they, they enjoyed Gershwin's writings enough that they felt like they can add their spin to it, don't have a problem with it. But it is a classical piece. And the piece that I sing that you'll be hearing is Serena's lament about her husband, Robin, who was killed in a crap game. And she had just said to him that she wanted him to save his money for the burying lodge because they didn't, you know, they didn't have money just in case something happened to them that they could be buried decently. Well, he was like, I'm not worried about that. I'm going to go out here and have fun while I'm still alive and kicking. Well, as fate would have it, he gets killed that very night. And she has to, as they did back in the day, have a, a wake where they put pennies on his eyes and a saucer on his chest. And people would come and visit her and her children and place money to help bury him. So that's what's going on in the scene of My Man's Gone Now. And she just laments. She's saying, My Man's Gone Now ain't no use of listening for his tired footsteps climbing up the stairs. And then she goes on to say, you know, and then she does, she does wails all through this, you know. I love how Gershwin made the music so that you really understood what the singers were saying as far as the emotion of the piece. And there's a, a choir that wails in, you know, in the background of her as well. Well, it's a tremendous scene, and I'd like to have our listeners hear you do it. Who are you doing it with? Actually, this I, I did this recording with Greg Baker, Marquita Lister, Cab Calloway is actually on this, uh, Harolyn Blackwell, and Eric Kunzman, Cincinnati Pops Orchestra.
Angela Brown as Serena in Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, the very dramatic aria, My Man's Gone Now. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And the Funeral Chapel of Bloomington, providing funeral and crematory arrangement services for the chapel, church, and graveside. The Funeral Chapel, to honor and commemorate. 333-4400 or online at pdcfuneralchapel.com. You've been involved in another opera, uh, this one, uh, a new opera, the Margaret Garner story. Uh, Tell us about how that came to be. You were in the world premiere and performed it, I guess, in three cities, was it? Yes, sir. What actually happened was uh, Richard Daniel Poor, I had auditioned for the, the piece, and it was originally written for Jesse Norman, and Richard Daniel Poor wanted me to do all of the workshops because when you have a new piece, you have to do a lot of workshopping to see what you're going to change if, he, if the composer liked this part really when he wrote it. And, you know, so you have a lot of tweaking you have to do. Mm-hmm. So I did all of the workshops. Then when it was time to debut, because it debuted in, uh, well, it had its world premiere in Detroit with Michigan Opera. Miss Norman, Jesse Norman, was supposed to do the role, but for some reason she was unable to do it. So since I had already workshopped it, I was really the only other person in the world (laughs) that knew this piece. So I had the opportunity to world premiere it, and then it went on to Philadelphia and Cincinnati. And uh, it it was wonderful to sing this music because... Uh, it's like the American quilt. It's like a big tapestry of America because you hear jazz influence, blues influences, gospel influences, and also classical influences. So it's just a big melting pot of music there. And I think it's a, a, a very attainable, reachable piece for the audiences. It's sad. It's nothing too happy about it, but it has glimpses of hope throughout it. It's basically the story of Margaret Garner, who was a slave woman who escaped from from Kentucky to Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio, in 1856 with her family across the frozen Ohio River. This was one of the times it did freeze. And upon being recaptured, she killed her children rather than to see them go back into slavery. So the opera begs, do we try her for murder or destruction of property? because we were still very much in slavery times. So it's a piece that um, is truly rooted in the American um, history and uh, one that I hope will make it into uh, the general repertoire very soon. Has it been done since those uh, three? Yes, sir, it has. I haven't had the chance to do it because Scylla is a role that is not an Aida. Let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. And when you have Aidas on the book, you don't go and do a Scylla. But, <laughs> because, quite frankly, it doesn't pay the same. But uh, I would love to have the opportunity in my schedule, whenever it, it presents itself, to do this piece again because it is wonderful. But it has been done by several other opera companies. Do you like to do contemporary music? To a certain extent. I do. I've had a piece that was written for me 
by Richard Danyapour, the same uh, composer that did the Margaret Garner. After he worked with me in the Margaret Garner, he wanted to, to compose something specially for me. And um, he employed Maya Angelou to do the libretto for it. So I'm actually doing a piece uh, entitled uh, A Woman's Life. And it was world premiered in Pittsburgh in the um, fall of last year, and it will be reprised in Philadelphia in the winter in February. Tell us about A Woman's Life. Well, it's a song cycle that uh, was done. Basically, what Miss Dr. Angelou did was to take poems that already existed, and then Richard set music to them. And it just chronicles, well, not really, a, it's not really chronology, but it's like different stages of a woman's life, mm-hmm. whether she finds herself in love, and, and it's not, a lot of it deals with love, as a child, being in a relationship, with uh, a man having having uh, going through growing pains, trying to find love in all the wrong places, uh, and then actually they ha- it has songs about the end of life and how you want someone to be there with you. So it's a very engrossing, beautifully written piece, and Dr. Angelou's words are just perfect. It's for uh, actually for soprano and orchestra and orchestra uh-huh so i'll be singing it with the philadelphia orchestra at the kimmel center at, in the verizon hall well daniel poor likes to use uh, great writers i mean yes, got angelou for Morrison, that and right. tony morrison for the margaret garner let's turn to some more music you've selected uh, two spirituals and one of them is my soul's been anchored in the lord a wonderful piece, I know. But talk to me about why you chose it and what it means to you. Well, My Soul's Been Anchored in the Lord is off of my uh, CD Mosaic. Both of these pieces will, will be off of my CD Mosaic, which are African-American spirituals with guitar and piano. And the piece My Soul's Been Anchored is done with Tyron Cooper, who actually is... Um, affiliated with Indiana University. Yes, he's awfully good. Oh, he's fabulous. He's <laughs> fabulous. And he's now a doctoral student there, but he used to be uh, the director of the IU Soul Review. And uh, he plays for me on that. And it's just something that is, it, I just feel it in my spirit when I hear this piece with his his masterful playing behind me. It's just something that we were just so in sync with. I just wanted to share this piece because it's just, it's it's one that speaks of 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 joy and and having that steadfastness in God that everything is going to be all right in the end
We've heard Angela Brown, our guest in the studio, sing, My Soul's Been Anchored in the Lord. And you really, that was in the sinew. I mean, that was, <laughs> that was wonderful. You have tried to bridge from your own community and, and uh, just people who may not be uh, attuned to opera, and you've put together a show uh, called Opera from a Sister's Point of View. Uh, tell us how that came to be and, and what you have experienced in presenting it. Well, first of all, Mr. Jacoby, I'm going to give you a lesson. It's not a sister's point of view. It's a sister's point of view. you got to kind of lean back on it. Come on, let me hear it one more time. Opera from a sister's point hey, of view. Hey, there you go, Mr. Okay. Peter. Okay. Very good. No, I like to have fun. But... Really, Opera from a Sister's Point of View is just a concert that demystifies opera for audiences that normally wouldn't go. Because I believe that if you give them strong meat, you got to give them milk or something sweet at the end. So the concert starts off with opera, where I will speak about each aria that I sing, and I'll give a today vernacular kind of tongue-in-cheek fun kind of experience. Uh, explanation of the opera, if you will, and uh, relax the audience and let them know, you know, opera's not that deep. This is what's really happening in the action, you know. And I just put my spin on it. And after I go through, the first half is normally like that. Then in the second half, I'll give them some either some, some musical theater, some light gospel and spirituals. Because, you know, I like to give a, 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 a widely varied concert so that everyone will feel like they have gotten something from it. But for the most part, it's just to introduce audiences to opera that normally wouldn't go, let them know they too can go, and that it's, it's to, to help to, with the diversity in audiences. Because I would be on the stages of the world, and I would look out, and I would see very few people that look like me. You know, So I wanted to, 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 to invite diversity into the opera audiences, because I was like, why aren't they coming? A lot of people tell me that it's because it's in a different language. I don't uh, understand that. Maybe they don't think that they would, you know, enjoy a screechy soprano or whatever the case may be, even down to I don't have anything to wear to a place like the symphony hall or or where they do uh, the opera house or anything like that. So just to relax the audience, I brought it to them. And uh, I do it in a, in a lot of churches, uh, community theaters. Uh, I have done it in um, opera theaters and uh, in, in symphony halls. And I also have a program that I can gear. It's a program that can be geared to any age range as well. So I've done it for a lot of schools. And also I, I will, when I do it for schools, I also tackle on a question and answer session. Then the children, they have great questions for me. So I really enjoy this, and um, I'm able to get the parents as well as the students, because I think that's important to have a family affair going, because if you don't get the parents, they can't bring the students. That's right. And you get real strong reactions? Yes. Actually, I've gotten reactions to the point of where opera companies have actually had a few more season subscribers. Hmm you know, to their, their their seasons because of opera from a sister's point of view. What 
would you tell a young singer just coming into the profession now? You're still young, I know. Yes. And you've got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. But there are those coming into the profession at this time. What advice do you have? Well, what I would say is that there there are no overnight sensations. No overnight sensations. When I made my debut on the operatic stage, I was 40. And everybody wanted to make me an overnight sensation, you know. You have to work. And you have to love it. You have to want to do this without getting paid. And a lot of times you won't. And so you have to sing at the opening of an envelope, whether there's a check in that envelope or not. And to define success for yourself. Everybody is not going to sing on the Metropolitan Opera stage, but you might be able to be the biggest star where you are. Either that's in regional opera houses, that could be at your church, in your community, wherever. You need to make your own opportunities as well. That's one way um, Sister's Point of View came came, uh, to fruition, because I had to make some of my own opportunities early. So I would say don't be discouraged. If you have the gift, go for it. You have to have that passion. And also remember to listen to your teachers and listen to what people are saying to you because everybody can't be wrong. So if there's something that they're saying to you consistently, believe it, go to the, to, to the practice room, work it out, and come back and try it again. It's great advice. Uh, but you did get to the Metropolitan Opera stage. I, I did. And it's, I did. It seemed, to the, it seemed to the outside world that it was an overnight sensation. Oh, God, you, <laughs> you got the New York Times to put your story on the front page. That's true. That's true. That, and it was all a blessing. And I believe me, I have ridden that coattail mm-hmm. for a long time. But after a while, you got to, you know, do something else, you know. So uh, I'm at the something else point in my life. (laughs) (laughs) But I've been blessed to have that start. I was very blessed to have that start. Can you recall uh, your feelings at the time? You know, it was just, I was so in the moment of everything. I was just doing the work. And when I sit back and I am like, I, I become like a fly on the wall of my memories, I was just, so engrossed in doing the work and then overjoyed, elated, happy, but not really knowing everything or the depth of what was happening to me until all of the attention came, you know, with, like you said, the, the front page of the New York Times and then in all the magazines that I was in, the Ebony, the Essence, the Oprah, the the Reader's Digest, the mm-hmm. Psychology Today, don't ask, uh, you know, so... <laughs> You know, it just went on and on and on, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And it's just been a blessing. It's been a blessing, and um, it, it was an exciting time, and I'm still having more exciting time. So. I will ask you about psychology today. <laughs> I don't know why. They, I think they were, it was, they were doing a story about why certain personalities make it successfully in this world in whatever it is that they choose to do. So that's what it was about. Well, let's listen to one more piece of music. Uh, He's got the whole world Mm -hmm. in his hands. Uh, I think that's a favorite of a lot of people, and I guess it's one of yours, too. It really is. Talk about it, please. Well, you know, uh, this is also on the Mosaic CD, 
And Joseph Joubert, who is a masterful pianist in the New York City area, he's a, uh, also a Grammy-nominated musician. Um, he also wrote music for The Color Purple, and he was he's on Broadway doing um, some other uh, musicals now. But it was just a pleasure to work with him. And when I think of the words, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got... You know the birds and the bees. He's he's got he's got the you know the beast of the field. If he's worried about all of those things, then I know these are the least of them. I know he's got me in his hands, and he's going to lead and guide my life if I so choose to let him. So this is a song that's near and dear to my heart, and I hope everyone will enjoy it. Angela Brown, he's got the whole world in his hands. How beautiful. You have appeared uh, for audiences all over the world. Almost you, all over the world. Well, <laughs> A lot of the world, yes, sir. Do you find differences from place to place? I have to say honestly that people are people wherever you go. Everybody wants us a warm smile a gentle handshake, uh, a pat on the back. Everyone has fears and joys, and they want a hug. And that's what I try to to bring to audiences all over the world is, is that human part of me. Yes, they, they bought the ticket to be entertained by the opera singer, the Metropolitan Opera singer. But what I want them to leave with is that I've also shared a part of me something that they wouldn't get just from the character Aida or just from the character Amelia and Balo. But they also got to see glimpses of Angela and of the God that she serves. That's what I hope people take from the concerts that I give and the operas that I sing in. Uh, music must mean a great deal to you. Yes, it does. It's my purpose in life. And I don't say that you know, like, oh, well, it's because I'm having a career. It's my purpose in life. No, really, it is. I was born to do this, you know. And you don't have things to fall in place as they have fallen in place. Because I've had some setbacks, and I've had to wait. I've had to have patience in the process. But I will say I've loved the process. I love rehearsing. You know, I love peeling the onion. I love being involved in the actual making of music. So that's why I say to young people and anybody else that's doing anything, 
in their lives that they have. You have to have a passion for what you do. And music is important to me because it's what I was born to do. And it can serve those that you reach. True. Because music can mean so much to a listener. That's true. What do you want to do still that you haven't done? What are some of the goals that remain? Some of the goals that remain. There are a lot of goals that remain. I'm still real young. Like <laughs> I you know you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to continue to sing, but, but, but singing it, I want to do more things in Europe. I have yet to break that, that big Italian barrier, so I, I do want to sing more in Italy. I want to sing in Verona. I want to sing at La Scala. Uh, I've had the opportunity to sing in Vienna, so that was one that I've gotten a chance to do. I want to go to the Orient and sing. I want to sing in Australia at Sydney Opera House. But beyond music, I want to start my own clothing, fragrance, accessory you know, lying, you know. So I, I, I'm looking into doing things like that on the fashion level, and uh, I would eventually really love to do some TV or movies because I think I'd be pretty good. So. <laughs> well, you got plenty of energy. Oh, thank uh, you. So you want to be a fashionista? Yes, I do, I do. I'm, I'm getting some things together, and hopefully... Soon and very soon, there'll be something out there that you can get. But it's a constant uh, struggle, maybe too strong a word, but you have to keep working away, don't you? You do. To uh, sustain and to build on a career. You do. Uh, talent will take you so far, but there still has to be that hard work. You have to have the business mind as well, and you have to... You have to um, Surround yourself with people that mean you good, not yes people. I don't need a bunch of people saying, oh, you're fabulous. I need some folks saying that this is what you need to work on and this is what we're going to do and giving me good sound advice, you know. So you need to surround yourself with people that love you but that also have your best interest at heart and not just looking for a check from you or something to fall from the table, you know. So, yeah, you have to stay plugged into the business of music as well. What do you do to keep your voice uh, in top shape? Well, anybody that knows me, they know I'm loud. So I try to, <laughs> <laughs> I try to do, you know, a whole lot of loud talking and stuff. But really, before I sing, or maybe a week before I sing, if I find I have a little cold or I'm, I'm, I'm a little congested or whatever, I'll start to take some Mucinex just to kind of thin out the saliva and the mucus so that I can get that out of my body. Drinking more water. Drinking water, period, is very good. So I really try to get the water uh, fluids going. And then uh, not drinking anything that's going to make me mucusy. You know, watching the temperatures in the room, because in the wintertime, oh, my goodness, you have a dry house or the dry hotel rooms. I have to take my vaporizer with me everywhere I go. So I've got my vaporizer, and I use a little peppermint oil to help kick up phlegm if I'm having, you know, phlegmy moments, and making sure that I, I, I vocalize and warm up slowly until I get to the registers that I need to to to, to, to be able to perform that evening. And uh, warm tea, dressing warmly, keeping my feet warm. I love warm, toasty toes. 
And just being sensible. These are all sensible things, you know, that your mama told you to do. Wear a scarf, keep a hat on your head, and something on your feet. <laughs> you know. Well, the singer is different from the instrumentalist who spends many hours every day practicing. Do you keep training, practicing? I, I know, of course, you learn new roles and things. Yeah, you have to stay on top of your craft because it can't slip away from you and you not realize that, uh, oh, that that didn't sound as good as it sounded before. So, yeah, you always have to have another set of ears to um, keep your chops going. You have to keep them up. It's important. There's no way around that. Well, you've worked on our chops today. Uh, <laughs> our, time is, our time is up, Angela, but I'm so glad to have had this time with you. Yes, sir. Uh, our guest today on Profiles has been soprano Angela Brown. I wish her well. I know we all do. For Profiles, I am Peter Jacoby. The program you just heard was recorded in February of 2010. The studio engineer and technical producer was Michael Paskash. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And the Funeral Chapel of Bloomington, providing funeral and crematory arrangement services for the chapel, church, and graveside. The Funeral Chapel, to honor and commemorate. 333-4400 or online at pdcfuneralchapel.com. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Christina Kuzmich, executive producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.